With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. This June, come with us once again to enter the amazing world of Chinese folk tales. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Find Chinese folk tales season three on all major podcast platforms. Online in June. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Young. Good to have you for this ride. Single ladies are a force to be reckoned with in residential real estate. What explains more single women in China entering home ownership prior marriage? And teachers don't have it easy these days, but then so do the parents. On top of earning a living and raising the kid, they're asked to be more involved with the school as well. From making handicrafts to now manning the school gate, our schools expect too much of working parents. For today's Ram, I'm joined by Li Yi and Yu Shun in the studio. First on today's roundtable, a recent survey conducted by China Youth Daily shows that an increasing number of single women are buying property before marriage. This is considered a departure from tradition, in which grooms are expected to provide. An apartment for brides. Some suggest this shows Chinese women are more independent, financially capable, and confident. So, tell us what's going on now. Sure. So, this research surveyed about two thousand respondents, and about forty-four percent of them are male. The rest are female. And according to the survey, about 84% said they noticed that more and more single women in China are buying houses before marriage. And、uh, I think their observation is true because when you look at the data from past, I mean, it's a trend that the number of female home buyers has been increasing over the past few years in China. Data from Code.com, which is a property transaction website in China. Showed that among over sixty thousand property transactions on its platform in the year of twenty eighteen, nearly forty eight percent of the buyers were female. However, for comparison, the figure was only about thirty percent in twenty fourteen. And meanwhile, in the year of twenty twenty two, women made up about half of all homeowners. Paying 4.7 million yuan on average for flats in the country's first-tier cities or megacities, and also who pay the bill is also a question that is worth to note. According to another survey, about 40% of women said they were able to buy a home on their own, and another 40% said they need to buy one with their partners, and nearly 20% surveyed said they needed financial support from their parents. And remarkably,、uh, when you look at the situation in top-tier cities such as Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen, most women, most female property buyers, are buying their property on their own. You know, a lot of people are saying that this is actually a departure from tradition, which usually considers men should be the provider or the major breadwinner in the family or in marriage. And now, obviously, women are buying their own property. 
In light of all this information, Yushun, what do you think is the public's attitude towards all of this? What were your initial thoughts? Share with us. Yeah, of course. Um, I think it is absolutely a positive trend. And about 94% of the respondents said they support single women to purchase their own property. And it's worth to know that the trend is also welcomed in uh, medium-sized cities, as we said, like some third or fourth tier cities. And they think that women buying properties by their own is a pursuit of equality and freedom. And um, it is the arise of the awareness to deal with risks. And it is also a changing purchase and habit and changing way women make financial decisions. That's really interesting. And also, if I may just step up and ask one question, it's like, I'm a little baffled by the fact that there are some of these people, so-called members of the general public saying they support this action or whatnot, because ultimately, this is the decision of individuals of this woman and possibly her family if her parents are uh, stepping up to help her out financially or whatnot. But it's just kind of interesting why like well you know these days in the internet age i suppose everybody has the right to an opinion even if it has nothing to do with you but maybe it shows a little bit of public sentiment towards oh now it's a thing women are owning their own property is it like that um i think to some extent yes it's individual choice in terms of purchasing a home or not But I think um, the survey major trying to see what the public think about this decision or a trend, if we can call it as a trend, is because traditionally in China, there is still a sort of mentality that men or the groom-to-be should really buy the property. And now it seems that, you know, all the survey and the data shows that single women are buying their own property before marriage. So, you know, people are questioning, does that represent that women are more confident financially nowadays compared than before, and they don't really count on men to provide a home for them. So I think that's the point of, you know, researching public attitude toward this. Yes. And also, let me just provide one small footnote there. That is, in my opinion, a recent tradition that the groom comes kind of prepared On the real estate front, because if you look at our parents' generation, those born in the 1950s or 60s or whatnot, it was not a prerequisite of marriage that either one of the two people would need to have property under their name or at least have paid the down payment, so to speak. So this is more of if I may say, a trend that has picked up steam ever since reform and opening up as uh, average Chinese families have the capability of uh, buying an apartment. And I suppose when you look at the marriage market, when more people are able to afford an apartment as they come into a marriage, and then gradually it becomes like, if you don't have it, then it seems like maybe, oh, that is and disadvantage in a way. So this is kind of the background we are talking about here. Also, I'm talking about like people are supporting this kind of uh, phenomenon. Of course, if there are some supporters, there are going to be some opponents, right? Mm. So, but the thing that they are that they are against is that the 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 fact that people are 
buying houses because about thirty percent of respondents think it's not a must-to-do thing if buying property is causing financial burden, and about nine percent believe women do not need to buy homes, and it should be done by the husband or the couple together. But from my perspective, of course, the fact that more women are buying properties for themselves reflected some positive signals, like they're being more independent. But the point is about the practicality of buying houses. It's not about women or men. It's about buying a house. You know, I'm I'm only thinking about the consequence of buying a house. After you do that, you may be you know just tied up by all of the house loans,、mm-hmm. and which means it may worsen your life quality. Oh yeah, you shouldn't. You take this discussion to. The other side, which is very、yes. much、um, appreciated here, that is, you know, now young people aren't even talking about who sh- should come to a marriage or relationship with property under their name. It is, should we even go through the trouble of purchasing property? Period. Rental or purchase? That is still one of the fundamental questions when it comes to the housing market. And and let's face it, this is probably the most expensive. Financial slash real estate decision that one makes in your lifetime, your lifetime. Yeah, I know. You know, some people are saying that when you are trying to buy certain property, especially when you are applying for mortgage, so that would just make you become a whole mortgage slave. That means you spend most of your disposable income in paying mortgage loan every month, and that will somehow impact your. You know, decision to buy things in your life and even impact your standard of living. And people are saying that, so that's why you shouldn't really buy, or even considering buy a property when you can't really afford it. But I have totally different argument here because、uh-huh. I think, especially for girls out there, if you want to buy a house, if you want to own your own property before marriage, you should really go for it. And when you can afford it. And or even you can't really afford it right now. You should really still work for it and strive for it. Because some I think you know, property is not only a concrete physical place to live in. It's also a place where you can find your certain sense of belongings or sense of security, especially for girls out there. You know, especially you know, for a lot of young people, they are working in different cities far away from their hometown, and somehow you have to rent apartment before you owning your own property. And you know, I know people are saying. That、um, you can rent a house, but you can't really rent your life. So basically, you can still live a beautiful life when you live in your apartment that you rent, which I totally don't agree because sometimes you know、huh. when you live in yeah because sometimes when you rent an apartment that can be really troublesome because you know to move every time is really a tiring job and also when you are living in your apartment that you rent instead of you buy you never put all your energy and time in renovating and decorating that apartment so that's why I would definitely go for buying a house oh that make me sound like a property seller right now <laughs> <laughs> but we also have Yushun who obviously holds a different and opposing view go. <laughs> right, and first of all, you can like move to what wherever you want. What if you basically, if it, you are not satisfied with your neighborhood, you can totally just change a community. And another one is that, of course, you can renovate or just decorate your apartment, even even if you rent it. And another thing is that, and I think that is one of the biggest reasons that. I am on the renting side. Is that you will have so much 
smaller financial burden if you just rent a house. You don't need to consider about well, sh- will I be laid off sometime, or should I just you know think about every little tiny things in your life to save up some money to you know pay off my mortgage. So yeah, I think that is the benefits of renting a house. You don't, you will have less pressure. But the question is, when you live in your apartment that you rent from somebody else, do you really feel emotionally attached to that place? Of course, I do. There is a contract that can yeah, assure yeah. me. Yeah, but you know, for some people, they think that only when they own their certain property, they can feel that emotional attachment, and that's actually a very important reason that a lot of single women out there are buying their own property, and especially. When they share their photos of decorating and renovating their apartment, and publish those photos on social media, they are proud of it. And in the meantime, they are feeling like they are building their safety net. You know, when they are trying to buy their own property, and they can do whatever things in inside that place because they are in full charge in in that place. I think it has a lot to do with your age、mm-hmm. currently, and also have you decided to put roots down in a certain place? Because for Very young people, when they're still just trying out different jobs, and they know they will be going through a few jobs, possibly in different cities, then I don't think it is really that great an idea to be thinking about、uh, I'm purchasing property in a particular place. Because let's face it, if it's five years later, you're probably somewhere else, and do you still want to be paying mortgage of that place? That doesn't sound to be very smart an idea. But also. For those who are quite certain that this is where they're going to be, or apparently, according to some surveys, actually around the world, often women would buy property if they decide to do so near family、mm. or maybe friends, or for sure they are. Investing in the future of this city, of course, because it's also their future, right? That's、um, sort of bundled together in in that sense. So that's why some people say that real estate is a barometer of the future of a city. It's almost like you're buying stocks and shares of this city, so to speak. Also, what I find to be kind of interesting is that maybe I'm a little bit older than you two. I've <laughs> been on this show for some time and studying these topics for a longer time, and I just think that you know, if you take a step back and look at a t- a bigger、uh, time frame, then this is not really opinion, but it's just an observation. It's really interesting to see how the housing market fluctuates and how that affects and impacts、right. people's decision. Because if you're, let's say, a twenty-something-year-old just entering Beijing or Shanghai. Right now, look at the housing price. Now it's it's impossible to buy one. Yeah, like with your salary, and then look at the housing price, and look at those ladies、uh, in that report in that survey said that on average they paid four point seven million yuan for a first tier city apartment. That is probably draining the bank account of maybe two generations of one family, and that's a huge commitment. But Uh, if you rewind and let's say twenty years ago,、um, the housing price wasn't like this, and therefore, for the rigid demand of a house or an apartment to emerge back then, for young people back then, it was the perfect timing, in my opinion. So it, it's really interesting to see that the housing market it goes up. And may I say, also down. It's just we haven't witnessed so much of the down,、uh, and therefore I think one needs to be smart and in,、um, with their house purchasing decision because 
not all housing markets are going to be, you know, setting on a rocket and going up all the time. So therefore, there are a whole bunch of factors, and then the financial security that people are looking for is not always going to be succeeded. Through housing price, right now in Beijing, in Shanghai, and for the last few decades in China, you might think so. But look at Tokyo. Look at you know all these other housing markets around the world. It's not going to be a continuous upgoing trend. So that's when you join the market, it matters a lot. I totally agree with you, Heyang. I think people should be cautious when they de- when they decide to buy their property. Is I mean, it's not like a regular or random. Uh, purchasing decision that you make on a daily basis. We are talking about buying a concrete home, which could cost you like millions of yuan, and、uh, that could just spend most of your income, maybe your income and also the fa- and also the income of, of your parents, your family. But I think not. That's not really the point that we are really discussing today. We are discussing a trend that is called single women are buying property on their own before marriage. Because what you talk about, you know, whether or not buy a property. Of course, if you can afford it, you can buy it. If you can't afford it, of course, you shouldn't buy it. You have to basically guarantee your standard of living at first. That's the very first step. But nowadays, why more single women are buying their property? I Think、uh, they are basically trying to,、uh, as I said, build a safety net because they think owning a property before marriage can somehow increase their attractiveness when it comes to relationship and marriage thing. They they think when they own a property,、uh, even before they go into marriage with someone, that can somehow make them more. Confident and、uh, make them, you know, feel more freedom in terms of choosing who they are going to spend the rest of life with. You know, because previously, if they don't own a property, maybe they will consider,、um, I'm I'm dating this guy, and、uh, if we get married, where should we live? So maybe we need apartment. But now, if I own a, an apartment in advance, then maybe money isn't really the first thing or the most important thing I'm going to consider. Yeah, and that also would、um, tilt the balance a little bit towards an unexpected way. Because in the past, possibly if the guy says, "I have an apartment under my name," then that's a major plus for this person, very eligible, attractive candidate.、Mm-hmm. But now, if the woman has that coming to the table, and then would the man find that to be attractive? Well, yeah, of course that would be a plus. But I think most men would think that no matter the lady has the house or not, they will still need to have their own property so, because that's basically、um, based on that kind of a traditional attitude towards men. As Khayana said, if you have a property, of course you're gonna, you know, win more attraction in the market. Does does it also become a source of pressure for the guy? I think so. Yeah. No matter <laughs> women are buying a house or not, men will still think about owning a house. But of course, it's still a personal idea. If the couple know each other very well, and both of them believe that they are okay with、uh, not having a house, their life quality will not be affected by having a house or not. They they may probably still rent a house after marriage. But before that, I think. Most of the men will still have an idea that okay, if I would like to get married, then some kind of a must-do thing is to get a car, get a house. That's it. <laughs> 
But I'm very curious about why. You know, why you guys think that I have to buy my own property if my future wife has her own property? Because that's that can be two scenarios. You know, one is face. You know, some guys think that if I don't really own an apartment, while、well, my wife owns one, that could just make me lose face, and somehow my masculinity mindset just makes、mm-hmm. me or pushes me to buy my own property. And second one, I think, which is a much more friendly version. You know, some guys may think I just want to, you know, contribute or make contribution financially into our small family. So that's two different scenarios. Yes, things will be so much easier if. If the marriage only involve two person, but、mm-hmm. actually the real scenario is the marriage will involve two families. So the man will think that having a house is not only showing that having a house; it's also showing their capability, and、um, it's also ensuring their wives or even their wives' parents that they will have a better life after they got married. So I think that is the point that why men still need to. Have that kind of、uh, you know state of mind to have a house before marriage.、Yeah. In a way, I applaud men who think that way because they have this serious sense of responsibility, which I think is great. And seriously, round of applause for for them. But on the other hand, I also feel. It might be unnecessary pressure in a way, because if this lady comes with the property and she really wants to be in this relationship with you, and marriage, you know, that's still a big deal for people, and maybe she's looking for you to contribute in some way. It doesn't necessarily have to be you have property under your name. It could be you're so involved with child rearing that you're there for her when she's had a terrible day at work, or you can provide like different kinds of support and levels of emotional support. I think that's a huge part of a healthy relationship. So when Guys out there, if you're wondering why can't I get a girlfriend or where's my fiance, this generation of females you're interacting could have possibly evolved. Maybe she's not necessarily looking at the bank account number or the house or no house thing anymore. But there are these other attributes that I'm sure some of you are capable in providing. And then it's like. You are in this together in every shape or form, supporting each other, and that might make a good relationship, a long-lasting one. Also, when you look into the reasons why the female is stepping up to having the inclination to own property, it's due to some pretty simple and obvious reasons. People are getting married later, and then. We probably have accepted that not every one of us is going to get married ultimately. So therefore, you probably need a place to live, and then rent can be very expensive. So it makes financial sense to get your own place if you haven't necessarily found the one. And also, women are there are more educa-、uh, college educated women. Therefore. They've joined the workforce. They might be on the job for many years, and then they have the financial capability in that sense to to make that expensive real estate decision if they want to.、Um, and this is not just a China phenomenon. We've looked internationally. What have you found? Yes, I think、uh, in the United States,、uh, there is also a trend that single women. 
own more homes in big cities than single men. And a very interesting finding would be there is evidence that suggests single women prioritize home ownership more than single men. And meantime, they are more willing than single men to make sacrifices to become homeowners. And and I think that might could help explain why single women own a greater proportion of homes than single men in the country. In、I、the U.S., right? In the U.S., yes. It seems like America is kind of a step ahead because we don't really necessarily have the figures supporting that actually there are more female o- homeowners in China. It's just now every year you see oh there's an uptick of the percentage of women who are getting their feet wet in home ownership. Also, I would provide one point of caution here. That is, owning a home is still hugely expensive, almost unattainable for so many families and individuals in the biggest cities in China. So, your sort of common knowledge isn't necessarily reflected in these numbers that we've cited today, because a lot of them are surveys that are conducted by real estate companies. Well, they want to sell houses, and also、um, some of the, this comes from self-reporting. So, without a more holistic and comprehensive study of the overall housing market, please don't feel bad if you are a woman and you are not getting on the house property ladder yet, or this is maybe. Just not your thing, then that's totally normal as well. So exactly, I think you know,、um, for single women, they can choose to buy their own property before marriage or not. I think it's not equal to independence. It's not equal to confidence. It does not tell anything about your quality, about your personality. It's just your individual choices. Coming up, how to better protect personal data during the delivery process. We'll be back after this break. The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-nineteenth century. I was born on the seventeenth of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing. Was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the Audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Li Yi and Yu Shun in the studio. Coming up, the risk of personal data breach while sending and receiving deliveries has long been a concern. Ever since the delivery and courier business took off more than a decade ago, now a new national standard has been implemented to better protect personal information. How does it work? And you would think that elementary schools. Owe a duty to provide adequate supervision at the school gate when students arrive and leave campus premises. Now, one school in Sichuan Province has asked the parents to take up that gate duty on rotation. 
Are schools expecting too much of working parents? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. And please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Emails will do, but it'd be even better if you could send us your audio clips. Your voice could be featured in the show in our heart-to-heart -heart segment. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, the courier and delivery service has become a booming industry in the last decade, thanks to rapid growth of e-commerce. More than 100 billion parcels were handled in China in 2022 alone. The rise of the delivery industry. Has also added risk to customer information breaches. Private information such as your name, address, and sometimes even identity numbers can be easily acquired in the delivery process. Okay, now we see to address this issue, a delivery industry standard has been rolled out. So tell us what's new here. Earlier in April, the State Administration of Market Regulation of China introduced to the public about two national standards on the country's courier delivery industry. Among all issues discussed here, I think personal privacy protection is the one that draws the most attention. And、uh, you know, when you send and receive parcels, there's always waybills pasted on that parcel. I mean, that's basically a piece of paper sheet stamped on the parcel that contains information about the sender and also the receiver of this parcel. Usually, contain information about name, phone number, and address. You know, this can somehow help couriers know where to deliver the parcel. However, there's also a risk of the leak of your personal information. And now, I mean, there's a clear regulation saying that. Complete personal information being printed on parcel wheels should be regulated. Courier companies and e-commerce business operators should avoid printing the personal information of senders and receivers. Specific policies include: for name, you should hide at least one Chinese character, and for contact number that refers to the eleven-number phone number, you should hide at least six numbers, and for address, you should hide the number of room and building unit. So, also, it's recommended that all personal information should be encrypted. Courier companies and e-commerce business operators should use modern technologies to make sure that personal information on waybills should be encrypted. And also, the question of who gets access to those information of senders and receivers has also an answer right now. Only authorized third parties and regulation authorities can be able to get access to info by using legitimate equipment. Yeah. So this. This seems to address one of the long-standing problems that anybody in China who's ordered delivery or bought stuff online would have encountered. That is, especially when sometimes the delivery guy comes to your apartment, especially when, let's say, you are sending or receiving some maybe slightly sensitive stuff, and then they ask for your. ID number.、Mm -hmm. I remember once thinking, so this guy knows my name, my full name, address to this particular flat, and my ID number, and he knows my phone number, my cell number as well. So, with all these information added together, if it falls to the hands of a wrong person, plenty of things that I am so scared that I am not gonna even say to you right here can happen, and it could. 
brew a crime. So now with this new standard, all these potential loopholes, pitfalls can be addressed. What do you think are the pitfalls that it hopes to address? First of all, I think uh, it's the thing that can it be fully conducted, right? Mm. Um, to use private waybills is not a mandatory option when using courier delivery services, and the customers need to choose by themselves whether or not using private waybills when sending parcels, which can be ignored by you know just daily users. And even if you want such services, not all delivery companies offer that kind of option to customers. Only a few delivery companies, such as Shunfeng or Jitu and STO offer that kind of encrypt your personal information on their mini programs on WeChat, and most companies are not offering that service. I think in this way,、um, food delivery did a better job, right? I think they because nowadays basically all of the food delivery that I receive have no my personal information, or they just give out a made-up number or、mm -hmm. just a number that they can get and、uh, transfer to you. So I think that is also a way that these kind of delivery companies can do. Also, why they ask your ID number? I don't understand. Oh, that was for EMS, and then it was a document that、oh. apparently was very important, and I could, I had to offer my ID number, otherwise I couldn't receive or open the parcel. And so these are maybe, but it, I'm sure every day this happens, although it's not as common as some of the other parcels. I think that that's in, in accordance with a certain. Regulation in China, especially in the courier delivery industry, because they they are asking, you know,、uh, when you send certain parcels, you have to provide your valid personal information. You know, maybe that's for the reason、uh, of safety concerns. They must they must make sure that this parcel is sent by someone that is safe. I don't know, but、uh, that's a certain regulation here. But I think, yeah, you got a point here because、uh, you know, there's once、um, my parcel was sent to another person、uh, in another building next to my building, and、uh, somehow. The delivery man didn't really get it, and the owner of that apartment just called me in phone and said that your parcel is here, so you can just pick it up. But you know, my question is that since that person can acquire my personal information on the waybills, pasted on that parcel, that can happen to anyone. So I think that's the legitimate reason that、uh, can, the country is trying to implement such regulations, saying that you should really hide certain,、uh, maybe numbers, maybe characters of your personal information on waybills. But meantime, I'm thinking that that might also cause troubles for delivery men or、mm. uh, for delivery people.、Mm. You know, because that could just Increase the efficiency of sending your parcels. Maybe before they can just、uh, simply look at the waybills and look at the parcel, they can know where to deliver that parcel. But now maybe they need another device or a smartphone to really scan maybe a certain code on that parcel, and then they can know where to deliver and how to contact the receiver of the parcel. So maybe that's also one concern of courier delivery companies. It makes their work a step more complicated. But it's such a peace of mind for the customer, though, because remember we have discussed on the show a few years back、um, what you do with your parcel packaging after you've opened it and it becomes waste. And it was advised that if you are very particular or protective of、uh, of your personal information, then you should use a black marker to. 
Yeah, that kind of thing. And also alcohol spray can also help. I tried that, but it didn't work. Really? I was so disappointed, (laughs) Li Yi. I thought I learned a hack from you, but it didn't work for me. I think it works. Maybe uh, the more alcohol spray and uh, the better it works. But anyway, that that can also be a way to help protect your personal information. But now I think we don't need such measures anymore. Exactly. Uh, And and it was the material probably of my parcel. It wasn't your fault. But (laughs) yes, of course, people can protect their personal information from how they do the waybills. And also, I think from the customer end, we should also pay more attention. For example, I usually just put my surname on the waybill. And I think that is kind of a way to protect your personal information. If you cannot choose, they will encrypt your information or not. Right. And now the trend seems to be, as the new national standard has propelled this trend, is not full information will be on the packaging of the delivery, which is really great. And also there is another sore spot, which is an area in delivery that has attracted a lot of criticism in the past about creating all this unnecessary junk and pollution to the environment. This is one area that's been addressed as well. Yes, I think they're definitely trying to change that problem. They are trying to promote a greener development for the delivery business. For example, it's encouraged to use environmentally friendly materials to make waybills. Companies could use electronic waybills to take replace of paper bills and also green packaging. I think that's one big issue in the delivery sector. I mean, that use too many tons of paper box and also plastic stuffing every day. And now they're trying to make that situation better. Yeah, and this is particularly relevant considering that e-commerce, buying stuff online, ordering your food, all kinds of economic activity happens through delivery and you shouldn't. Before we go on to the next topic, enlighten us on really how big of a business are we talking about here? Yeah, latest in 2023, China's express delivery sector continues to grow as consumption recovers. In February, the total revenue of China's express delivery sector expanded 29.3% year-on-year to 84 billion yuan. And that's the data from the State Post Bureau. And SPB, which is State Post Bureau, attributed the expansion of the express delivery sector to government measures saying that regions and localities across the country have made consumption recovery a policy priority since the start of this year. And some other private companies are also trying to contribute to this industry. And we can see, for example, SF Express, which is a Chinese courier enterprise, saw revenue from its express delivery business expand 37% year-on-year to 13 billion yuan, and that's about 1.96 billion U.S. dollars in February 2023. Yeah, so every single little parcel that's being shipped and delivered around the country, I mean, it matters a lot. It matters to our environment and also, you know, reducing that risk of your private information breach is very important for every consumer, every user out there. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, one might assume the school should take up the duty of care of elementary school students at the school gates. Now, parents in a school are asked to resume some of that school gate duty. Does it make sense? Stay tuned. 
Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Li Yi and Yu Shun in the studio. Recently, some parents of Elementary schools' children in Sichuan Province complained about one particular school policy. It requires parents to take turns to man the school gate. The idea is, under the watchful eyes of parents, student safety during campus arrival and departure shall be ensured. Parents are split. On this topic, they have very divided opinion in that sense. So, what exactly are parents being asked to do here, taking up gate duty, Yushun? Basically, just some of the parents need to be at the school gate to make sure that during the time of、um, students go to and off school, their safety are assured. And、um, the complaint argues that the school's demand is. Excessive and stating that students should be taken care of by school during school hours, and occasional help is acceptable. But how can parents manage their work and personal lives if they're required to clocking like employees? But here's just one question: because manning the school gate, if nothing happens, it's a peaceful day, fine, great, and I'm sure most of the days are like that. But what if? You know, this is the what if question, isn't it? What if, let's say, there's this Driver that's just driving off the road, or somebody just—I don't know—shoves the kid around, or something bad happens. And if you're manning the gate, then your duty is to do something about that to protect the kids. Is a parent apt to do so? I think that's a very good question, and I think the school obviously have. Thought about it because that's why parents are not the only force of the guardian of the school. I mean, besides parents, there is also community police officer. There's also faculty, teacher, and staff. There's also security personnel. I think who are much more professional in handling such issues. I think basically parents are there to I don't know to get involved in their kids' school life, but. To be honest, I'm quite surprised by how involved they are nowadays. Because I remember when we were in elementary school and middle school, parents only show up at a parent meeting at the、mm. end of every semester, but mainly to talk about academic issues. I mean, to talk about your kids' grades and talk about how he or she is doing. At school, but basically that's about grades, that's about schoolwork. But nowadays, obviously, parents are much more involved in school management issues on a daily basis. But I think it makes sense because parents nowadays are more concerned about the safety and the security issue of their kids. I mean, there are much more vehicles on the roads every day. And plus, maybe they are there to pick up and send their kids every day on a daily basis. So maybe that's just another duty they have to follow, but not so tiring. And that really is quite a difference from what those kids. Born in the 1980s or maybe early 1990s, experienced. I remember back then. There's the term latchkey kids, which is you know a kid who wears a key、uh, yeah. on the neck. <laughs> oh, I do that. Oh, really? And、yeah. and you're younger than that, but still. So you know, which implies that this kid is gonna come home on his or her own and. 
being home alone and that's all the fun, right? You can do all the stuff that you can't do otherwise when your parents are at home. Yes, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about how would kids think about this policy because I imagine that as a teenager or as a kid, you don't really want your parents to get involved in your social circle at school. Because <laughs> Mom I, waving at me yeah, because when I, I'm out of school. Yeah, because I used to be like that because, you know, at home I can listen to and uh, get along with my parents. But then when it comes to school, I think that's my place. You know, I don't really <laughs> want my parents to stand there every day or not every day, but someday to watch me and to make sure I get into that school or I just uh, get off from school um, on, on a daily basis. So it's quite interesting to look at how would kids think about all this. But that's when you're a teenager, when you have this growing awareness of who I am. And then, you know, before that, maybe that's the sweet days for parents when kids don't think you're uncool before, you know, that stage. So do you think this is going to be in practice that big a problem for parents? Because Initially, just looking at this piece of news, everybody would probably have a sh- most people, let's say, would have this shared reaction. That is, huh? What? Can't the school employ security guards to do this? Parents have a full time job. But is it really that bad in reality, taking up this gate duty? Yes, and I think we need to take a look at, you know, first of all, the the, the composition of this guardian post, right? Uh, as Lee said, it's not only parents. Also, there are some professionals. And another thing is that the requirements said that only there are no volunteers of parents, then the parents need to take turns to be on duty, to be at the school gate. And another thing is that even if they take turns, all of the parents of the school can take turns. And given that the number of classes in the school, it's actually not that frequent that you will be the volunteer, to be honest. And another thing is that I think it could be a an opportunity for parents to see what's the situation of the school environment, right? It allows parents to have a closer look at the environment in which their children go to and return from school. And it can even be a chance for parents to get to know their children's classmates right um, and you have say to hi to your kids classmates and you have to know that oh by standing at the school gate <laughs> I <really laughs> doubt it probably but, yeah. will but you know it will give you the opportunity of, of the parents to meet the teachers you mm. know and it's almost like a bell curve there are always going to be the really eager parents and you wonder do you have a day job and maybe they don't to, to they're so involved they really want to Whoa, they really want to know the teacher. They want to be on the good side of the teacher. And they do, they go full out. There must be those kind of parents. And then the majority of parents, if you if you go to a, a regular public school, probably both parents would be breadwinners. And then, you know, they're busy with their life, their job and trying to, you know, keep a family going. And then I can so feel the frustration, or sometimes it's parental guilt because you don't have the time or you don't really think it's adequate to put so much into just being in that relationship or communication avenue, whatever you call it, with the teacher, with about the schoolwork stuff. But then you, you're kind of compelled to get involved because there are those people who go full out, you know? You mean but- peer pressure among parents? <laughs> 
<laughs> isn't that too much? I mean, that they are only requiring parents to be at the school gate one hour twice a day. And what's you the frequency going, for the parents who are? It's involved? not going to be very frequent. If it's okay, let's say once a year, right? Yes. And is that frequent? I mean,、uh, they they also interviewed some of the parents、um, at the school gate in this particular school in Jingyan County, Luoshan in Sichuan Province, and、um, some of the parents are saying that they they haven't even been on duty once. So I think that is the normal frequency. And also, you are going to pick up your kids anyway every day, and that just prolongs your time. Uh, of picking up your kids, right? Yeah, I totally understand you, but I think there are some complaints or you know peer pressure、um, from the perspective of parents because standing at the school gate is not the only thing that parents should do nowadays. I mean, they are much more involved in other things, you know, big or small, like very trivial things, and they have to answer yes or received maybe in the WeChat group of their class、uh, of their kids, and also maybe they have to make sure their their kids are doing homework. Work、uh, when they go back home on a daily basis. I mean, there are just too many things that parents are expected to do. So maybe that's why they have certain complaints, as as He Yang mentioned. But just、uh, concerning this issue, if I put myself in the shoes of parents, I would just welcome this policy because at least I can tell that this school is very open to the parents in terms of the security issue. At least the the school is taking the responsibility of you know even hiring more people. Include parents. Parents aren't hired. You're、uh, there free. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe invite to invite <laughs> more people to get involved in in the whole security or、uh-huh. guarding thing. At least、uh, it shows that they are making progress or they are, you know, being responsible in that. Yeah, but also I would like the school to sign a document before the parent actually goes on duty. That is, if anything bad happens, the parent is completely off the hook. Because <laughs> I do. Well, you know, I might be a little bit pessimistic about this, but what about the extreme cases? You know, and、uh, yeah, you need to plan for these things. I, I, I would think, but still,、um, it's really interesting to see that now parents are divided on such issues.、Uh, I think fundamentally, what they are divided on is how involved do you want to be with your children in school, and how involved should you be so that. You have your kids' best interest in mind, and you don't want to do anything to mess up your kids' treatment in that classroom when the teacher is most possibly king.、Um, that's not the way you look at it, but you know when you really want your kid to be in good footing in the classroom. So another head scratcher for parents, and of course everybody's subject to their own opinion, but. Do you think there's possibly a fine line you would like to walk on in that sense? I think it depends on what you really think about education is, and it also depends on the maybe the focus of the school management. Because I assume at top schools, which emphasize a lot on the academic work, maybe parents and the teachers would just try their best to make sure kids. Are trained academically, and maybe they don't pay so much attention to the administrative things. 
But I think it really depends on the parents, and also I think it's not really a new thing. You know, it has been so all the time. You know, parents really think about what their behaviors would impact their kids' situation at school, and of course, they don't really want to disappoint their kids and also the teachers. They they have to or they want to to really work with school as much as possible and to create a better environment for their kids, and that makes sense. I don't see any problem in that. The thing is,、um, from the perspective of parents, because I used to be in education sector, and、um, you were a I, teacher. <laughs> I communicated with a lot of parents, and、um, I understand that why they are saying that. Oh, a lot of teachers just pushing their responsibilities to parents because you know they send their kids to schools because they want the kids to learn everything in the school. But actually, is it really the The case, I mean, of course, you need to make efforts at home after school because you cannot require kids to learn everything in that one hour of class time. And also, I have to say that there are some, you know, unnecessary duties that teachers are given to parents. Because,、uh, for example, I saw some homework like making a handmade newspaper. Oh, we did that. <laughs> But well, my、uh, mom did not help at all, and I did、whoa. the whole thing, and I couldn't finish.、It. Sorry to interrupt like that. Of course. So desperate to share my personal story <laughs> like that, and then you know what my mom said? Well, I'm not gonna help you, daughter. You didn't do very good time management, so you're gonna show up in school tomorrow with this unfinished homemade newspaper, and I did. Didn't look too good on me, but that was okay. Yeah, I think that's actually the right. Way to approach it because exactly yeah because parents should not really cross the line. They have to let their kids know what's their own responsibility and what's something that I can help you to do. So sometimes I just don't know whether it's the teachers are requiring parents to do the newspaper or the kids want the parents to do the newspaper or the parents themselves want to do the newspaper. <laughs> right? They will. They want their kids to stand out from their peers and. That's one thing that I don't understand, but something that teachers required to do, like collecting、uh, information for epidemic prevention. These are、mm -hmm. things that teachers have to do. But actually, does teacher really want to do that kind of stuff? Of course not. They have their own things to do. I think that would take up their personal time, of course. So mutual understanding is quite essential in this case. Of course, there are some space for the teachers to improve. For example, give out less meaningless homework like that, and require parents to finish these kind of things. And parents can also be more cooperative and more understanding if they can, right? So that I think parents and、um, teachers, or the parents and schools, can make improvements in the relationship. Yes, in this little world that revolves around the kid, and we all want the best for the kid, right? You're listening to Rantable, and that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Li Yi and Yu Xun, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.